0: We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church podcast. I'm Chase Baker, the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. We'll be bringing our series one voice to a close with a message today from Pastor Jacob. As we focus in on our final core values, joy, change, excellence, and prayer, the passage we'll be learning from today is 1 Corinthians chapter nine. We're so excited to dive into God's word today with you. Now, here is Pastor Jacob. Good morning, church. My name is Jacob Scrimsher, and I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor here at Rolling Hills Community Church. And I'm going to continue us in this series, One Voice. We're actually going to end it today of as a church. Three campuses, about to be four, with one voice that we proclaim who Jesus is. And we've been doing that by walking through who we are as a church, a vision statement. What is our vision for Rolling Hills Community Church? And let me put that on the screen for you. So as we walk through, we're a people of God reaching out, growing up. And today we'll be hitting on giving all. And when you think about, like I said, you, I told you earlier, I'm, I'm the discipleship pastor. You're like, what is that? Well, when I look at this vision statement, I don't see it as just who we are as a church. This is my job description. When I look at this uh, every day, look at this and say, how can I do my job through this vision statement? So when you look at it, a people of God, we are a gathering of people who have been adopted into the family of God. We are the people of God gathered together. Now, what are we going to do? We are going to reach out. So in my position, I look at this and say, how can I mobilize people at three different campuses, about to be four? How can I mobilize people to reach out to those around us? How can I help people more clearly see that where God placed them is as missionaries? They are missionaries where they are in their work, in their school, uh, in their homes, and on their street, in their neighborhoods, that they are missionaries. How can I mobilize people? How can me and my team mobilize those people? And as a church, I believe that God placed us in Nashville and Nolensville and Franklin and soon to be Columbia for a reason. And how can we as a church be for the good of the cities where God has placed us? How could one day if, if our churches were taken up, the cities would, would, would grieve because as an institution we made those cities better just for the good of the city. How can we do those things? And then you move to growing up. When we talk about growing up, I believe as a disciple, a disciple is a apprentice of Jesus, is a student of Jesus. Jesus is our teacher. We are his student. This is what discipleship is. So growing up, being growing in your, as a disciple is growing into Christ likeness. Can we look more tomorrow like Jesus than we did today? That is our discipleship. How do we grow into Jesus? So we're reaching out. We're growing up and then where those two things combine is giving all, giving all of who we are to the mission and work of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. And for for me to start out, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I mean, I don't want to brag, but I'm kind of a big deal in the leaf eradication world. Uh, Yeah, that's true. In the leaf er eradication, I like to believe that if you went to my neighborhood and you asked them, who is the best leaf eradicator in this neighborhood? They'd be like, that's Jacob. He is the best leaf eradicator. Now, I'd like to believe that. I don't know if it's true, but when when fall came and leaves started falling, like when that first leaf started falling, I had a net up there trying to grab it before it ever hit the ground. I was like chasing butterflies out there trying to get these leaves. Then they started falling in droves because at my house I got these two huge trees that had the littlest leaves you've ever seen. Long little leaves are like spinning as they're coming down. So I'm trying to catch them. Then they start coming down in full and I'm blowing them as they're going because I want to get every, it's like a goal to me. Every day I'm out there blowing, every single day trying to get every leaf gone out of the front yard to a point to where hopefully people would say Jacob, man, he is the best leaf eradicator there is. But That's the front yard. If you go to the backyard, there's leaves everywhere. There's leaves everywhere. They're hidden in the corners. It's wet around there. There's leaves all over the place. So I've spent all of my time focused on the front yard with no focus on the backyard. Do you know why? Because that's the part people see. They can't see in the back. Got a tall fence. They can't see that it's wet. They can't see the pile of leaves. They can't see any of that. But when they look at me, they can say, Man, he's good at eradicating leaves. I'm not giving all to my leaf eradication. I'm giving just enough so the people that see me can say, man, he's all right. When the truth is far from that. I think that's true of us sometimes with our spiritual life. We give just enough of the parts of our life where the people that see us, they can say, oh, he's all right. But we have these hidden spots, these spots that nobody can see, only us. At least we think that. We have fences and we're keeping people from seeing what's truly going on inside of us. And what we're going to talk about today is that what's true of the gospel is you can't halfway give yourself to the gospel because it is literally impossible to halfway follow someone. If I said, hey, let's go, we're about to go to Birmingham, I want y'all to follow me and y'all half followed me. It's not going to end well. And that's what's true of the gospel. You cannot half follow someone. And in the same way, you cannot half love someone. You got to be all in. And today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. And we're going to see Paul and look at his life and how he was giving all of himself. So this is, um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. This is what the word of the Lord says. This is Paul talking. He says, though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself, I've made myself a slave to everyone or a servant to everyone. Why? To win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as, why? To win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as, why? To win those who are not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. Why? To win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into your word, Lord, you know our hearts. I pray that you would make your word crystal clear to us, Lord, that by your spirit we would see who you would have us be in the world, Lord, that you would fundamentally change our heart with your gospel here this morning, Lord. We ask all of this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. When you look at this passage, you see Paul, you know, explaining to us how he is, He has freedom. And there's so much here in this passage, but I just want to hone in on one thing for us that we're going to unpack the rest of the time. That Paul is saying as a Roman citizen, I am free. I am a slave to know when I have this freedom and with this freedom, I'm making myself a servant to everyone. That he has a high status and he's making himself, he's choosing a low status for the sake of the people around him. That he's given himself fully to these people. He is pouring out his cup and leaving room for other people to pour into him. He's giving his life for the sake of what? What does he say? To win as many people as possible. For the sake of the gospel, he is giving his life. And we talked about a second ago that a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. It is a, Jesus is the teacher, he is the master teacher, and we are his student. Well, Paul, as a disciple of Jesus, is living his life to be like the master. He is, in fact, modeling the practices in his life to look like Jesus. This is the way Jesus lived his life giving all of himself for the sake of others. In fact, in Philippians, it says that Jesus gave himself in all humility, gave up the throne of heaven for death, even death on a cross. So he gave up a high status for a low status. For why? For the sake to save some. And this is Paul saying, I am trying to live out my life in the same way that Jesus did. And I love this picture. And when I I study a passage like this, I was like, okay, this is how Jesus lives his life. This is Paul, a disciple, following in the same way. I love to find examples of people who also live that same way. Because what we have is through generations of church history, we see disciples following. We can learn from church history to say, here are people that lived it out on a regular basis, And, and one person I' always think of when I think about giving all of our life for the sake to w- win others, to live our life in such a way as to win others. I think about the missionary Jim Elliott, and this is a famous quote you may have seen it before it's in your notes. It says, "He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, which he cannot lose." He is no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose." What Jim is talking about, that I'm giving you give your life for the sake of the gospel to gain eternal life, that you give your life because of eternal life. As we saw Paul reflecting the life of Jesus, that he gave himself for others, Jim Elliott gave his life for the sake of others. Because when we look at a quote like this like if you ask me for a quote about being a doctor I could give you a quote you'd be like yeah that's a good quote but I don't trust any of it because you're not a doctor. You, you don't know anything about doctor. You, you've you never lived your life as a doctor but when we see a quote from someone like Paul, we know Paul lived his life as a disciple. We know that Jim Elliot lived his life as a disciple because Jim Elliot was a missionary to a people group that have not heard the gospel in Ecuador and he felt called to do that. And in fact, he gave. He went to Ecuador. His life was called to give them the gospel. And in fact, the people he was trying to reach took his life from him. The people that Jim Elliott went to Ecuador to try to reach were the same people that he gave his life to for the gospel. It sounds very familiar of the life of Christ who came to give the good news to the people, the same people that he gave his life to. So you see this modeled in Jesus. You see it modeled in Paul. You see it modeled in people like Jim Elliot. But here's the thing I don't want us to miss really quick. God called Jim Elliot to reach these people in Ecuador. But he didn't reach those people. But I want you to hear something today that obedience to God is not lost on the results obedience to god is not lost on the results it's not lost on what happens when you do the thing that god called you to do if god calls you to do a you do it and you don't see immediate fruit from it your obedience is not lost on the results in isaiah 6 god says who can i send and isaiah says send me and then Paul, god proceeds to tell him no one's going to hear anything you have to say but god was pleased with isaiah's obedience jim elliott He did not see the thing done that he wished to be done. But in fact, as we look back over the history of the missionary movement, there's probably not a person in church history that compelled more people to go be missionaries and save the lost than the life of Jim Elliott. Because God wants all of us. And when he calls us, he wants obedience, and he wants us to give everything that we have to that end of building the kingdom. And when I say he wants all of us, I don't mean just our obedience I mean he wants all of us because he wants us because he loves us and wants to use us in the same way because giving all means giving all of ourselves. and let me read to you from Colossians really quickly you don't have to turn there I'm gonna read it to you Colossians chapter 1 this is starting in verse uh, 17 he talking about Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything or in all things he might have supremacy. For all of us, like in your in your translation, it may say he came to have first place in all things, or supremacy in all things, or primacy in all things. What this is telling us is doesn't say that Jesus came, lived, and died to have first place in some things. Or a few things. It says Jesus came to have first place in all things. And this is true for me and it's true for everybody in this room. There's a war of primacy or a war of first, whatever you want to call it. I like war of primacy. It sounds like an old English battle. But a war of primacy, a war for first place in our heart. Because we have so many things in our life and every single thing in your life is battling, is struggling to have first place in your life. Every single thing wants that spot, but Christ came to have that spot, to sit on the throne of your heart. And everything is vying to sit on the throne. And what we have to ask ourselves is, can multiple things have first place? And logically, the answer is no, only one thing could have first place. You know, when you think about it, about the culture at large. Everything is vying to have first place in our life. And and if you asked, if you pulled a bunch of people in here and you asked them the question, hey, do you want to be countercultural? I think Christians and non-Christian in life would would say yes, because I think this is what's wrong with the culture. I think this is what's wrong with the culture. I think this is what's wrong with the culture. We would all have a different reason of why we wanted to be countercultural. Some of us want to be countercultural because I just want to be different. Like me growing up, when, I was, when I'd listen to music and someone would say, hey, what you listen to? And I would tell them and they would say, oh, I've heard of them before I throw, throw it out the window because I didn't want to listen to anything anybody else ever heard of. I wanted to be unique. So I was listening to my own thing that like only seven people were listening to on purpose. So I, was, I wanted to be rebellious like that. So if you asked me during that time, I'd say, yeah, I want to be counterculture. I want to be different. But here's what I want to challenge all of us to as believers. The most countercultural thing you can do Is to put Jesus as first place as everything in your life. To give all of yourself to God. Because what's going to happen once you give all of yourself to God, you you begin to be able to give yourself to others the way Paul did. And that is the most countercultural thing in the world. To give yourself to others. To be a servant of others because God called you to. That is the most countercultural thing you can do. But as we ask that question like, am I giving all with my life? I can answer To all of you right now, my answer is no. I'm not giving all of myself to Christ. And maybe your answer is the same. I'm not giving all of it. But this is the goal, that we give more of ourselves today than we did yesterday. Because it doesn't matter who you were when you walked in this room today. It doesn't matter all the things you've done. It doesn't matter any of those things. What matters is who you are when you leave this room today. It matters what you do with the time that you have left. It doesn't matter who you were when you walk in. It matters that you dedicate more of your life. You give all of your life more today than you did yesterday. It's like the game of Risk. I don't know if you ever played Risk before. It takes 13 years to play it. But in Risk, the goal of the game, you have a map. You're trying to take over the whole map. But in this game, in the game that we're playing, the spiritual game, God owns the whole map. It's already his. If you're a follower of Christ, he bought the whole map by the blood of Christ. But yet... We have given our life to him, but we still have strongholds that we're holding on to. We're still holding on to Ukraine and Kamchaka. If you ever played it, you know what I'm talking about. Kamchaka and Ukraine, and we're holding on. But God wants the whole board because it's his. He bought you. He bought the whole board. You know, I have some, In my neighborhood, I have some trails that go around by my house, and I walk on them, and I take my blower with me, and I blow the leaves. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <clears throat> but I, I do feel like I want to when I see the leaves on the ground. But I was walking through there this weekend and I was thinking as I was praying through this and walking through this, I'm walking through the trails and there's, you know, it's been raining and, you know, but the sun's been out some. So there's dry spots on the trail and I'm making my way around the dry spots. But there's also these dirty, muddy spots. And those dirty, muddy spots on this trail, the dry spots are dry because the sun's been shining on it and drying it. But there's also muddy, dirty spots where the sun hadn't shined yet. Because there's trees blocking it. There's leaves blocking it. The sun just hadn't got there yet. And for all of us, just like the leaves in my backyard, we have spots in our life where the, the sun just hadn't shined yet. And they're muddy. And they're messy. And they're dirty. And we don't want to step in it. We don't want anybody else to step in it. But God wants that spot. He wants the sun to shine in that spot in our life. He wants to speak into that spot. Because when we say giving all of our life, when when I want to get the leaves out of my yard, you know why I really want to get them out of my yard? Because I have a lot of trouble growing grass in my yard. And I don't want the leaves in there killing out the growth because I know it takes sun to grow. And I want those leaves gone out of the front yard and we all have spots in our life where we need the sun to shine but when we give all to God it means giving all of our sin to him it means giving all of our doubt giving all of our grief giving all of our happiness all of our joy all of our sorrows all of our valleys all of our peaks it means giving all to him because he came to take all of that and make us sons and daughters but when I study a passage like this, I always want to, I want to study the Greek. I want to study all the backgrounds. I want to hear what theologians had to say. I want to know everything. But at the end of the day, what I want to know is what do I do now? What does this practically look like in my life? Every time I leave the small group, the, the way I, we end the small group is, okay, what are you going to do with this tomorrow? Give me one thing. Give me the practical thing that we're going to do tomorrow that we're going to meet God in this. Because, and so for the rest of our time, we're going to practically walk through what this looks like. And I think the first step of that is we have to have some introspection on ourselves and nobody knows you like you do. But if I was saying, Hey, let's go to Birmingham. Like I said earlier, we put it in my phone, plugged it in. The first thing it would ask you is you want to use your current location? And you say, yes. And what does it do? It drops a pen down because you don't, you can't get to where you know you want to go unless you know where you are. And we have to find out right now where we are. Cause everybody in this room is in different places of our walk with Christ or not walking with Christ. We're all at different places, but we all have a next step to take, but we have to figure out where we are to get to where we're going. And where we're going is to be like Christ in the world, to be his ambassadors, to be more like him than we were yesterday. I don't know if you ever listened to like a true crime podcast or a show. I don't really, I don't really get into that, but I watched one recently about the, it was about the bombing of the Olympics in the, in the 90s. And it was so interesting to me as They were like, okay, here the bombing happened, and they create a profile. This is a profile of what we think the bomber probably looks like. And they, they create the profile, and then once they see a suspect, they say, does this suspect match the profile? And they look at three areas. So interesting to me. Three areas they start to look at. They're like, what does this person do with their time? So they look at the suspect. Does he do the things with his time that would point to him being the person we're looking for? What does he do with his time? What does she do with her time? They're looking for that. Then the next thing they look at is, what type of skills does this person have? What are they doing with those skills? What type of training have they gotten? They start looking in all these things because they're trying to say, is this the person we're looking for? And then the last thing they look at is, what are they doing with their money? What are they doing with their money? So they, are they buying things that would point to them being this suspect? They create a profile and then they line those up. You know why they look at those three things? Because those three things are the outworkings of what we believe in our heart. Our values come out in our money, in our skills, and what we do with our time. Those are the things that we value. Because if you were to do the same thing, like, is this person a follower of Christ? If someone were to follow each of us and say, what are they doing with their time? What are they doing with their skills? And what are they doing with their money? Would we match up to the profile of Paul, of Jim Elliot, of Jesus? Would we be a follower of Christ? And for me, like, I didn't become a Christian until I was... 20 mid-20s however at 14 I prayed a prayer I got on my knees because my friend was like hey we can't be friends anymore unless you're a Christian I was like you're my best friend what do I gotta do he was like pray this prayer so I prayed a prayer I asked Jesus into my heart I said exactly what he told me to say and I was like now what and he said well now you're not going to hell I was like cool do I get like a card to hang around like get out of hell free card And he was like no you're good But between 14 and 24, if you would have followed me around and looked what I did with my time, looked what I did with my money, looked what I did with my skills, you'd you'd say, okay, he spends all of his time focused on himself, making his name great. He focuses all his skills on people saying that he's great. And he focused all of his money about feeling great. He's a follower of Jacob. That's who he is. But hopefully as in my 20s, as I dedicated my life to Christ and he saved my life from the pit, you increasingly saw less muddy places, sun shining in more. And you saw more of my time given to studying the word and helping others. You saw little by little the board being taken over by God. Hopefully that's what you see. Am I there? I am by no means there. If you ask me, I I still, the Lord's got 75% of the work to do. I'm still messed up. But I'm meeting him in that. So when we look at that, of where we are, the, if, if our time, money, and skills is where we see, where we line up as the profile, if that's where our values come out, then I want us to spend a moment and ask this question. What am I doing with those things? And the first step is this. This is in your notes of knowing this, that there is not one hour, skill, or dollar that you have that wasn't gifted to you by the hand of a loving father. That every hour you have, every dollar you have, every skill you have was gifted to you by your loving Father. And the question we have to ask is, what am I doing with these resources? And what am I going to do with these resources? So we're going to walk through these uh, one by one. These are three God-gifted resources. And the first one of these is time. So time. Think about this. Think about your bank account for a second. What if I told you for the rest of your life... Your bank account, you're not gonna have any idea how much money's in it. You're not gonna know any, maybe some of you don't know how much money's in it, but that'd be nice. But you don't know how much money's in it, and you may have enough for today, and you may not. You may have enough for 60 years from now, but you may not. Would that change the way you spent your resources? Would that change the way the money would become more valuable to you? It'd be more scarce because you don't know how much of it you have. Well, that is 100% true of your time. You have no idea how much time you have. You could have today, maybe. You could have 60 more years. You don't know. And thinking about it like that, it helps you know this, that your time is one of the most valuable things that you have. It's one of the most valuable things that it have because of the scarcity of it. The house and market in Middle Tennessee is blowing up. You know why? Because there is hundreds of people moving to Middle Tennessee and the inventory of houses is very, very low, which creates the prices to go up. Your time is even more scarce than any of that. And I feel that even more clearly this week because I turned 40 this week, so wrestling with, hey, what have I done with the 40 years of my life? And what am I going to do with the next 40? Because time is the most valuable things. Because when you think about it, our calendar is really an MRI of our heart. Our calendar reflects what we value. What we do with our time is what we value. So I'm going to give you three ways to invest your time, three positive investments. Number one is invest in your discipleship. The same way there's Hundreds of people moving to Middle Tennessee trying to get a few amount of houses and apartments. Our lives are filled with so many things trying to get our time. Everything in your life is vying for that time. And if it's one of the most valuable things, we have to stop and say, what am I going to do with that time? Because most of those things are just busyness or just wasteful things that you're just burning away your time the way you would be burning money. You're just burning away your time. Most of them are focused on your comfort, not your growth. They're focused on your comfort. And I think I have to look at this and it's like, man, if, I, if my intake of Netflix and the news outweighs my intake of God's word, then I'm going to have a very malnourished soul. And a malnourished soul leads to all sorts of maladies, all sorts of wet spots, all sorts of places where the sun needs to shine. So this is what I challenge you to invest in your discipleship, because the best thing you can give to the people around you, best thing you can give to your family, best thing you can give to your workplace is a person that who is investing time in their discipleship. And the, the easiest thing I can give you, like the first thing, like one of my goals in life when I die, did I move more people into desiring to read the God, God's word daily? That is one of my goals in life, that if today someone started to pick up the word and read it daily, then it is done, that my work is done, because that is something I'm so passionate about, because I truly believe this, that the greatest investment you can make in your discipleship is giving the first of your day to God. Not because you have to read the Bible, but because you get to. We get to meet God in his word. It is a privilege for us to meet him in his word that we give. That's why we do the daily step here. It's not just to do something. It is our daily step of looking more like Christ because we meet him and we see who he is and we see who we are. And we begin to see what he would have us be. That's why we meet him in there. We, uh, that we see who he is every day when we read it. So we meet him in the reading of God's word. And we have the daily step in the back. We, we broke it down to one chapter a day because I'm convinced that it's not about reading the whole Bible in the year. It's about reading the Bible the whole year, because there won't be a day when you don't need its wisdom. There won't be a day that you live that you don't need its guidance. So spending our first days on God. And you know, sometimes January, man, I wasn't very good in January. That's why we broke it down. February's out. Start in February. You read half of the days in February, that's more than you read the week before. Try to be in God's Word more than you were and build it into the habit. Like before I grab my phone, before I do anything, I'm not going to run to my phone. I'm going to run to the Father with the first parts of our day. So we invest in our discipleship. Number two, we invest in the discipleship of others. So in my neighborhood, like the HOA have been doing a good job working on the trails. So you know what they did? A bunch of people from my neighborhood met at the pool house yesterday. When I say pool house, our pool's like this big. But it's like, oh, my foot's in it. But they met. You know why they met? Because there's a lot of muddy spots on the trail. There's a lot of mess up spots. You know what they're going to do? They're getting there together and they're going to trim up the trees. They're going to let the sun shine in. Brothers and sisters, that's why we do community groups. So we can get together and get in the muddy spots together and trim each other's trees with the gospel and let the sun <laughs> shine in on each other. God's calling us to invest in the discipleship of others. That means willing to get messy, willing to get into each other's life, and hold each other accountable of what it means to follow Christ. So it means being in that type of community, but it also means that there's people that God's placed in our life that he's calling us to disciple individually. If apprentice is student and master, and you're, you're walking alongside, and you may be farther along in your walk than this person next to you that God's put in your life, God's calling you to bring that person to your life and disciple them And we're like, I don't know how to do that, Jacob. How about this? Commit to both reading the daily step together and then meet and have coffee and talk about what God's doing in your life and explaining the word together. God's calling you to apprentice someone, to get in the mess, to trim the trees together. So invest in your discipleship, invest in the discipleship of others, and invest in making new disciples. Why was Paul giving all of himself to others? What was the end goal? To win as many people as possible. And the kind of stuff that leaves me awake at night is thinking about the people that would never come into this building that we could have the best worship we could have the best music we could have the best program the best preaching the best kids ministry and they will never walk in that door because they don't want nothing to do with it they will never come in those doors but you know where they may come your house my house Because that's a relational evangelism. They may see what a Christian's like by you inviting them over for dinner. So, when we think about making new disciples, win as many people as possible, I really believe this that God placed you where you are for a reason. I love the quote from Rosario Butterfield God never gets the address wrong. You live where you live for a reason, God placed you there. You work where you work for a reason. You go the places you go for a reason. If you go to Walgreens, you go to that Walgreens for a reason. He placed you there as a missionary. And what can we see is these circles of influence from the end of our street to the ends of the earth. Where is God calling us to make new disciples? Because he's calling all of us. Where is your Ecuador? It may be just your neighbor. And it may be the Amazon. But I ask you to invest in it, because if you don't calendar it, if you don't intentional about it, you won't do it. Of saying, "I'm going to invest in my discipleship. I'm going to calendar the first part of my day. I'm going to go to a community group on this day. I'm going to meet with this person on this day. I'm going to invest in making new disciples by every time I see my neighbor, I'm going to go talk to him, not pulling out my gospel guns. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? But say, man, you want to hear what God's doing in my life, and just see what God does. So our time, and then our skills. God has gifted everybody in this room different ways. He's gifted all of us with different things. Some of us would be uh, have carpentry skills, not I. If Some of us may have mechanic skills or the skills of an electrician or you're a great reader and you can read a book in a day or God's created us all so many different with so many skills. And I, I want you to see this, that God has gifted us in so many different ways that we can use those skills for the good of the people around us. God gave us those skills to use for the good of the people around us. If you're a carpenter, there is somebody on your street that needs carpentry. And you can care for them in that way, but also for the sake of being with other people to get the gospel out. As a carpentry missionary... Somebody needs mechanic. You can care for people whose car is broken. You can care for each other. You can start a book club to reach other people because you love reading. The things that you love, other people love. God gave you those things for a reason. How are you using those skills as a tool for discipleship and care? And then lastly, money. The thing about money is this. Money has two natures. Kind of like fire. Fire has two natures. You can use it to cook or it can burn. You can use fire to build a city or you can use fire to burn a city. Money's the same way. You can use it to build or it can burn. It can be your master or it can be a tool. And once we step back and realize and let the gospel take over who we are, you'll see this quote here in your notes that one of the effects of the gospel going deeper into our souls is that it frees our fingers to loosen their grips on our hearts goods and we begin to see these, these tools placed in our hand that not one penny that you've ever had wasn't placed there for the father for you to do good with and when we start looking at that way when we give hundred percent of our life to god when we think about giving ten percent it seems like so less when we think about hundred percent of what he gave for us the ten percent feels less what is that that's awesome <laughs> But think about this. And I think we think about giving wrong sometimes because we think, well, I have to give this 10%. Yeah, God asked you to, but why? And I see this, that when you give, you are mobilizing the gospel. If you've ever given to Rolling Hills, you know what you've done? There's kids over there learning about who Jesus is before the world tries to tell them who they're not. When you give, there's students they're learning a worldview about Jesus as the sinner and how they can live as servants in this world before the world tries to change them into something else. Later in this service, we're going to watch three high schoolers get baptized. You know why? Because you gave towards making that happen. When I talk about reaching the cities, anything we've ever done to reach a city is because you gave to make that happen. When you give, you are mobilizing the gospel. And I will challenge you to do this. When you're budgeting, first of all, if you're not budgeting, budget. Give every place a home. Give it a home. Like, this is how much I'm going to spend on eating. This is how much I'm going to spend on, on uh, fun stuff. This is how much I'm going to spend. And when you get to the part, don't call it tithe. I challenge you. Change the way you think about it. Call it mobilizing the gospel. How much money is God calling me to set aside to mobilize the gospel? That may be given to Rolling Hills. That may be given to JMI to get the gospel to the Amazon and Moldova. It may be given to 413 Strong, Shower, wherever God's calling you. But you sit down and say, Lord, where are you calling me to mobilize the gospel? Because at the end of the day, we just want to give all of our time more than we did yesterday, give all of our skills more than we did yesterday, give more of our money to mobilizing the gospel, giving all of who we are for the sake of building the kingdom and as we close I'm going to give you one more quote here, it's from Jim Elliot and he said this wherever you are be all there when he was in Ecuador he gave all of himself and he was all there and what this means to me is if you're in your home be all there if you have kids you know who the chief disciple maker of those kids are it's you you can't count on anyone else as a disciple your kids you are their chief disciple maker they are watching you they are your apprentice be all there don't still be at work don't still be on your phone be all there make disciples if you're at work be all there for the sake of winning some the way paul did when your kids are playing sports be all there for the sake of winning some Be all there. When you meet God and reading his word in the day, don't take your phone with you. Be all there and be with the fathers. He draws near to you as you draw near to him. And give all of yourself for the sake of winning some and for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I know as we sit in this room with so many different people in so many different stages of life, I know there's people in here who have never taken that first step to following you. Lord, I pray that you would just compel their hearts with grace and mercy to follow you and taste and see that you are good and change their life forever. Lord, don't let them leave this room today without making a decision. And for the followers of Christ already in the room, Lord, we all have a next step. Lord, make it crystal clear what our next step of giving all of our life is, Lord. Let us all look more like you today than we did yesterday. Let us all be growing in your likeness, Lord. And let us all leave here knowing it doesn't matter what we did yesterday. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. It matters what we do when we leave this room, Lord. What are we going to do with the minimal amount of time we have left? How are we going to build the kingdom with those times, Lord? I pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus amen we're going to move into a time of communion now if you didn't get the elements when you came in you can grab those at the back or the front as we move into this time and we think about giving all of our life we the only reason we think about that is because Jesus gave all of his life for us and when Jesus was sitting around the table with his disciples he said I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to come to the Lord's table. For what reason? For the remembrance of me. And that remembrance has three different aspects to it. We remember, one of the words used more than any other in the Bible is one of the most used words is the word remember. So we won't forget the Lord's goodness. So we remember, first of all, what he did. We remember what he said he did in Scripture. We we have faith in that. And we remember what he did in our life when he redeemed it from the pit. And then we remember what he's doing now. That he's currently working in the world and he's currently transforming our hearts into his likeness. We remember what he did. We remember what he's doing. And then finally we remember what he promised he's going to do. That one day he would return. And he would redeem all things and he would wipe every tear and all pain would be gone and that we would be together with him. The next verse in Corinthians where we were studying says this, run in such a way as to win the prize. The prize is Jesus himself and being with him that day. So we remember what Jesus did, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. Let's pray over the table now. Father, we come to you in remembrance, Lord. With a thankful heart that you've allowed us to your table, Lord. That we come crippled to your table, Lord. And that you bring us, Lord. You brought us into your family. The only people allowed at the f- table is your family. And you have adopted us out of your grace to your family. You have made us sons and daughters, Lord. And as we come to your table, Lord, overwhelm our hearts with what we've been given, Lord. And also send us like an arrow of what you would have us do. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. On that night that he was at the table with his disciples, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you and you and you. And on that same night, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Father, we collectively say, Thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. Thanks for tuning in.